chapter 1, verse 12 verse is critical to our understanding. Here it is. Now, now mind you that I'm pulling out a, a part of a conversation, that, but I'm going to put it back into context for you. But Paul is going to make some standalone statements that's actually going to help us with our call to personal integrity. Now, let me just say from the onset here, it's not in your handout, but these that may have some note worth taking statements. You have an individual choice to become. It is not a collective choice to become you, just you. It's not environment. Where you're at right now, it is not the atmosphere that dictates that, just you. When we walk in on Sunday morning and you have a need for in your life, irrespective of what the song is, is being sung, what song is being sung, or what style of music is being played, if you have a need on Sunday morning and you walk in here and you become desperate enough for God, it really won't matter what everyone else is doing. This is what I found out. When, I'm, when I am ready, no one else will stop me. I can become what I'm going to become. It's not a corporate decision. Let me just say this. When you're ready to really get a hold of God, nobody's going to stop you. Because at that juncture, you'll have pushed Remember the sermon I preached here and there? You're never going to get there until you get uncomfortable with here. Here is wonderful. And as long as here is wonderful, you don't ever get to go there. You don't go there until here finally drives you to make choices and decisions and actions that push you there. Everybody wants to go there. But the reason why they can't get there is because here is still okay. They've negotiated with here. So the corporate structure, the, the body, the church, whatever it is, what, the lessons, the sermons, the, the getting together, the whatever these things are, these things are always going to garnish a group of people that kind of go with the flow. But when you're ready, you will become. You'll become whatever you want to become in your life, in your walk with God, in your marriage, in your home, at your job, you'll become. So when I say personal, I'm not talking about getting together with your family and deciding to be honest. I'm not talking about getting together with your husband and your wife and saying, you know, now maybe it's time that you and I both start living for God. It's really what you're going to do. Of course, it would be nice if everybody was in unity. You know, there are consequences for personal actions that affect everyone else. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not oblivious to that. Um, did you know that, that, that the uh, water bill uh, comes in two different ways? At least it does in our house. You know, you pay for water and then you pay for sewage. Did you know that? And even if you're, you're, you're using water to, to water the plant, uh, 
they, they make you pay as if it went down the sewer. Now, I'm calling them and I'm telling them, listen, this whole water bill, I, shouldn't, I should pay for the water, but this sewage bill, is, this is ridiculous. These are just plants. I've been helping the environment. But they, pay, they make me pay for things that I didn't, I didn't use. Is that true in your house? Do you get like two different bills? We get two different bills. We get a water bill, then we get a sewage bill. And whatever you use in your water, there's almost an equal amount for a sewage bill. As if it went down the drain. Well, it didn't go down the drain. It went to the plant. Now, I think that would be fine because I do pretty well. But there are people in our house that leave the hose on. There are some members of our, of our family who take baths but never put the plug in and just let the water run and run and run and run because they like the sound. So, you know, your personal decisions do affect the whole. But in this particular case, your personal decision is not, be, is not made because someone else is, is making the decision. You have to. Even to be faithful to church, you're going to have to decide to do that. And, and it might be at the cost of, of many things. You might have to do it in spite of other people. You have to be faithful to the house of God. Okay. I want to go down a road, but I, I better stay right here on 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, everyone say conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. Now that's a big mouthful of statements, and there's some interjection here, so we're going to dissected a little bit and, and kind of discover some aspects of Paul's presentation. It's going to help us. Here's the first thing that Paul, I'm, I, I will offer four aspects of that verse that is critical to a life of integrity. And the first is that there is an internal confidence that Paul has. Now, a confidence is, is, is important to have when you, when you are speaking uh, to people, but you're ministering to people, you have to have a confidence. Now, the, the, oppos- the opposing part of that, looks, it, it looks like it could be, uh, instead of confidence, maybe an, an arrogance, or maybe an opposition that is confidence, or an inferiority complex. But, but in this particular scripture... That's not the opposition. The opposition is to internal conflict. So in this particular scripture, Paul said, this is how we minister to you and to other people. There is a confidence. uh, It wasn't a conflict. It wasn't internal conflict. Now we're going to, we'll get to that again when we define it. So let's just put these things out first, the four aspects. The second aspect of the scripture of his presentation is that there were pure motives. He had pure motives, which is sincerity, sincerity. The opposing aspect is ill intent. So you either have a pure motive or you have an ill intent. Number three, his presentation. He promoted the grace of God as opposed to human understanding. Now these are polars, they're opposites. We'll get into it. And number four, consistent conversation and actions, both in word or in deed, 
as opposed to a biased approach. So let's figure out what this means. Number one, that internal confidence. That's called the conscience. This is a conscience. This is the testimony of our conscience. That's the internal thing. It was, it was not a conflict. It was, it was clear. Where did the conscience begin? Your conscience is that internal voice. It's something that helps you. It's, it has a voice inside of your head, maybe, inside of your heart. It provides convictions. It provides the yes and no. So when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they didn't need a conscience because there was no sin. And so they walk with God, commune with him in the cool of the day. And they were naked. And the Bible says they were unashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. When you see a little child that's two years old and gets out of the bathtub and runs around the house while the company's there, that's, that's a pure conscience. They're naked and you wish that they were, you're ashamed actually because you let them run around the house while company's there. When they ate the forbidden fruit, then suddenly they, they saw themselves as unclothed and they were ashamed. Why? What told them that? Disobedience awoke a conscience in them. The moment that they disobeyed God, he had already put in them a conscience that tells them right from wrong. It reminds them what God had said. And so when they ate the forbidden fruit, a conscience was, was awakened. And it said, you're naked. They covered themselves up with fig leaves. And God came along and said, where are you? Of course, you know that you remember what I say. God never asks a question. He doesn't already know the answer. Where are you? Of course, it's a probing question, not necessarily meant for an answer. It's, it's meant for them to recognize what they had done. And they said, we hid ourselves because we're naked. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? Well, it was the conscience and it stemmed from disobedience. The Bible says in the last days that well, people will have their conscience seared as with a hot iron. Seared. In the last days... They'll become so corrupt and far from God, they won't know right from wrong. See, when Adam and Eve, they had a pure conscience, a clean conscience. Or maybe I should say it this way. They had a fresh new conscience. They put clothes on. When they, people lose their conscience, they take their clothes off. Just the way of the world. Would you like for me to move on from that topic? Amen. A couple of people. So, Paul said we had a good conscience. Our conscience was clear. A clear conscience. Do you know that you can speak to people, even boldly, but you can have a clear conscience? The worst thing we can have is a, is a distorted or a damaged conscience or something that we've done wrong, and it haunts us and it lives with us all of our lives. And every time that there is something said or preaching or teaching or you exhort or you, or you witness to someone, you want to say it the right way. And Paul is expressing this. We, whatever we did with you and with other people, we lived our testimony, our preaching, our teaching. It was with a good conscience. And secondly, it was in sincerity. Everybody say sincerity. Sincerity comes from the two words seen and seer, S-I-N-E. And C-E-R-E. It means without wax. 
Sincere means without wax. In, in ancient days, um, when pottery was broken, um, you could repair a pot that was broken or cracked. You'd put wax on it and then you would paint it. Um, and so merchants, uh, when, when they would, when they would sell a pot that had been broken, uh, they, they would put it to one side and the pots that had not been broken, they'd put it to another side. And the pots that had not been broken, they would write sincere on them or maybe on some shelf because they were real, they were transparent, they were genuine, there was no problem with them. But over time, merchants began to mix them. So they would paint all the pots. So you didn't know which one had been broken because the broken ones would eventually crack depending on what temperature of water or heat or whatever was put in that pot. Maybe, maybe it was grain that was too heavy. And so the problem was that these merchants became very skilled uh, at covering up damaged items that wouldn't last. And they became known as insincere. It was so... If you are sincere, it's without wax. It's without cover-up. You're not trying to hide something. And Paul said, this is how we live. We lived sincere before you. We had, this is what, who we were. Not just with you, but with everyone. And thirdly, there was a recognition. And it came to the grace of God. But it was a recognition of who we are in God. Grace of God. So I would just stand here just to remind everyone, whatever you are, it is by the grace of God. You're not, you've not reached any levels without the grace of God, and you are not sustained at any point without the grace of God. But arrogance always replaces grace. Because after we've served the Lord maybe a little bit or life goes on, People become arrogant and they forget where they came from. The moment you forget where you've come from, that's the moment you become judgmental and arrogance replaces the grace of God. So now you think that whatever you are, you did that. You got there by yourself. And arrogance grows out of three, three things. Self-sufficiency. It means you can take care of yourself. And arrogance grows out of talent because talents are given to everybody. And, and not all talents are musical talents. There's many, many different talents. But, but as we gain talents, we can become arrogant and we forget the grace of God. So it's, it goes back to the recognition, always recognizing God. In Him, I live and breathe and have my being. It's in Him. The reason why I got up this morning, it's in Him. The reason why I have whatever I have, it's because of Him. Whatever I'm doing, it's because of Him. It's because of the Lord. It's not because of me. This is the problem right now in our, in our generation. It probably has always been a problem, but I didn't live before this time. So I'm dealing with this generation like David served his own generation and fell asleep according to the will of, of God. So he served his generation. But I know in this generation, there is less reliance upon the grace of God and more reliance upon individualism. And this is a problem because self-sufficiency or to be able to care for ourselves has um, has been in a dueling process. It's outdueled our recognition that by grace we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Remember, by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God.
Don't ever forget that. This is critical to our lives. And Paul is talking about this. It was by God's grace, but by the grace of God. This is how we communicated, but by the grace of God. If there was any profundity, miracles, if there was power, if there was blessing, they did it by the grace of God. And finally, out of arrogance, we, arrogance grows out of self-sufficiency, talent, and tenure. Because time, this is, this is my life lesson, I suppose. Time changes people. Time in church can change people. I hope it won't change you. But over time, we start to believe that we, we have something, we paid our dues and we have something coming to us. That somehow we deserve something. We deserve to be recognized or we deserved it. We, we worked for it and we've, we've accumulated some insight into the scripture or we've accumulated some status in the Lord and tenure, ladies and gentlemen, has damaged many people because they forgot, again, they forgot what kind of person they used to be. They said, well, I've been coming to this church for a long time. I, I should have been somewhere. Well, to be honest with you, every day we're growing and learning. The fact of the matter is, Many, many people have been taking the same test over and over again because they, they're not getting it right. Have you ever felt that way? No hands? Three? Okay. 10%? Oh. Confession is good for the soul. Honesty is starting. You learned, you learned from last week's lesson. Come on, I've, I've, I've gone through similar tests and had to go back and take it again because obviously the Lord didn't think I got enough answers right the first time and the second and the third time. And so Paul said, look, we did everything by the grace of God. And finally, Paul will submit correct conduct. He was conducting himself with who? Go back to your verse. We have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. We did it with people that were in the church and people that were out of the church. We, we were honest with you. We were honest with them. So correct conduct is not based upon diverse individuals. Paul treated the church the same, with the same honesty and integrity as he treated people that were outside of the church. He said, I conducted myself correctly to the sinner. I kept the same integrity to the saints. Now I would just submit to you all. It's important to have integrity with people outside of the church. Pay your bills. Here, pastor, don't go to the restaurant if you can't afford a 20% tip. If you can't afford a 20% tip, you cannot afford a $10 hamburger. Just walk in knowing that you are going to give the server a 20% tip. I'm going to feel your response. Because as I've often said in my own life, it doesn't matter how they serve me. I'm not giving them a tip based upon their service. I'm giving them a tip based upon who I am and what I represent. The idea here is that Paul is not, he's going to have correct conduct in life. It's, conduct is not based upon 
what is happening to you. Conduct is based upon who you have inside of you. Oh. The problem is, we are responsive people. We want to respond based upon what someone's saying to us and what someone's doing to us and how we're treated. When our response always has to be rooted in what he did for us on Calvary and that we have the Holy Ghost and we are representatives of the body of Jesus Christ. I, I don't know. I, I, I probably shouldn't say this is not a good thing, but there have been people who have cut me off on the road and I had it within my power. The opportunity. Oh, it almost seemed like God gave me the opportunity to reciprocate in kind. And I felt like it probably would be good for them for me to teach them a lesson on I-70. Many years ago, my dad's pastor, when my father first was saved, Eddie Gwynn was his pastor. And Eddie Gwynn was going to church on Sunday and he was running late and somebody was in front of him and he was so aggravated. Whoever that, that driver was, was driving slow, poking. He was, he was mad. He started honking the horn, honking the horn, honking the horn. Got to the stoplight, just kind of crept through the, you know, green light just didn't go. He's shaking his fist. And finally, he decided, I'm just going to get around. What didn't have, it wasn't, it wasn't a passing lane, but he just honked his horn and he, and he zipped around. And then it, as he got past one of his dear saints, <laughs> He realized that probably didn't look really good on him. Uh-huh. The, the, the thought here is that there's a whole generation of people. And when I say a generation, I'm not meaning teenagers and young people. I'm seeing a whole group of people who are alive. We are response-driven we're driven by facial expressions, words, actions, and deeds of other people. And then we decide, because we're reactionary, how we're going to live. Why don't you make it right now a commitment, how you're going to live, regardless of what everyone else does. Now look, I'm back to where we started. This is a personal commitment to integrity, a call to your personal life and to mine about how I'm going to live. And when I walk into this house on Sundays, many times I'm in here worshiping God. And I'm in here worshiping God because I need him. And I'm not worshiping God because, uh, uh, because I, I want to provoke someone else to do it. I just need the Lord. I just need him. I need time with God. So this is Paul's call he's he's in a in one sentence in a few sentences rather he's declaring several things he's declaring a conscience he's talking about sincerity he's opposing a fleshly or a human understanding because a human understanding can only get you so far did you know that a human understanding is only going to bring you so far did you know that many people take trivia out of the Bible and use it, but it's still human understanding? The Bible is the most quoted book in the world by people who have no relationship with God. 
The Bible is an incredible book with all kinds of parables and proverbs and people even in the church use the scriptures incorrectly to prove points or to correct someone when it's not their place or to put someone in their place when that's not the intent of the Bible. The Bible, rightly dividing the word so that you don't have to be ashamed. How could you be ashamed? You're in the word, right? But you can misapply the scripture and and that brings me to this point and I don't, I don't have it in your handout, but it, I just got to make this point. Knowledge without application is like a new car that sits in your garage, but is never used. It looks good. It has all the necessary components to transport people. But unless it's put into gear, started up, driven, it's without purpose. And this has been the scene of a thousand biblical lessons in every church, in every age. Truth is taught. God's thoughts are presented, but they so easily can lay untouched and unused. And part of that is because when the word is being taught or preached, many times we think, well, it's not for me. In fact, sometimes people think and have said to me, Pastor, that was a great word. I knew exactly who that was for. Mm -hmm. I was ready for them to say, it was for me, but instead they say, I knew exactly, boy, I wish so-and-so could have been here tonight. They really needed that. <laughs> okay. How about you? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm past all that. See, I'm past all that. I'm, I'm, I conquered that. Did you really? Be very careful before you think you've conquered anything. Chances are you haven't. And the moment you think you've conquered it, there'll be a nice test coming your way to see if you really have. The Lord is interested in you. He's so interested in you, he'll call you to a task you can't do without him. He's so concerned about you that he wants to continually refine you, like shedding old skin, like putting you in a flame and bringing you out again and again, tried seven times. Why seven times? Like gold in a furnace seven times. That when you come out, you'll be tried like fire. Hmm. This concepts, these concepts that we talk about uh, of integrity and sincerity. Um, and how can we reach them? We, we want to reach them. How can we become people that have integrity and, and are honest? As I spoke last week. And have clear conscience. How can we do that? Well, let me just present you a couple of false premises here. Because some folks believe that they're never going to be good enough to be saved. And they're never going to be good enough to be used of God. So let me just declare a couple of false premises. And certainly this is not the whole. Here's a false premise. Good people have integrity. You got that backwards. And the second is likened to the first. Integrity is a result of being spiritual. Wrong. I better, I better help you with this now. Your pursuit of integrity drives you towards the Lord. Your pursuit of God drives you for the, toward the Lord. Both of these are the other way around. Both of these are the other way around. 
When you find God, he leads you into a life of integrity. That's, let me just give you some examples here. You can be born again of the water and spirit and still have hang-ups. You're born again. Everything of life is washed away in the sight of God when you go in the water. And I, I've heard great testimonies of people that have been, their addictions have been broken, all kinds of things have been broken when they got in the water. But some of them are not. And when you're baptized in Jesus' name, you still go home to a life and you still have to face all the issues of life. You still have to, incredibly enough, you still have to deal with lying tongues and deception and addiction. Why? Why would we go through that? I thought we were baptized and we're just going to be a new creature. Yes, you're a new creature in Jesus Christ. But baptism is the beginning. It's like being, in fact, it's being born like the first time you're born. You are still now, now you are on the journey to retaining and gaining integrity in your life. It's, I, I, the, the, the problem that, that we face is that we, that we, we have promoted, and I'm sorry that this has happened, but we promoted that everybody in the Pentecostal church is perfect. Nobody has any problems. Bless God, we, we got the Holy Ghost, we speak in tongues, so we don't have any problems. That's not the case. You don't come down to the altar and pray through, and then all your problems are over. That's not true. In fact, we have these little words, praying through. Praying through means, well, I'm just going to speak in tongues, and when I speak in tongues, I get all my problems solved. That's not true. I know a lot of people who speak in tongues, and they, 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 they still have problems when they left. Some of them have more problems when they got done speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is the exercise of the baptism of the Holy Ghost that's inside of you. You still have to pursue a life of integrity. Integrity is not a result of being spiritual. Being spiritual is a result of pursuing God. Listen, listen. You want to be good? I'll tell you how to be good. Pursue God and his righteousness. Do right every day. Integrity would be a byproduct of pursuing the Lord. I want to do good. This is... Uh, we, we consider one another instead of God. This is what David said. When he sinned and had a moral failure, this is what he said. God, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this wickedness in thy sight. Why didn't he say, I've, I've done this wickedness with, 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 with my wife and with, with this woman and, and my children? No, he said, my sin was against God. When Joseph was propositioned by Potiphar's wife. She said, let's just take our fill. My husband's gone. We'll just have this immoral affair. We'll have adultery. And this is what Joseph said. How can I do this wickedness in the sight of God? Because he believed that doing right consisted of how God thought of him. He, he was pursuing the Lord. He, he wanted God to measure him. But today, we're hoping everyone else would measure us. Because if everybody likes us and we think we're good, then, then everyone thinks we're good, then we've got it made. Hear me. If God thinks you're doing right, then it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Now, I will tell you that if God puts a stamp of approval on you, anyone with half a brain and a little bit of the Holy Ghost will know you're doing good. This, this idea, and I have to be very careful because... We really do believe in the new birth experience and the necessity of it. It is exclusive doctrine 
That's what Jesus said. You must be born again of the water and the spirit. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. You must, don't marvel. You've got to be born again of the water and the spirit. So what we've done is we've excelled on the water and the spirit, but we're having trouble with daily living. And we feel like we are saved the moment we, we speak in tongues and we're born again of the water and the spirit. Hear me. Yes, you're saved. That's what Brother Woodward said. You're saved. You're being saved and you will be saved. And the middle part is where we're struggling because we think the work is all done once they're bap- once we're baptized in Jesus' name. It's not done. That's just the start. Just the start. Because if it really was over then, why do I want to cut that person off on I-70 and show them my new fancy bright lights? <laughs> yeah. Good people have integrity. Good people. So nobody else. You just got to be good. If you're good, you'll have integrity. Hear me. We've got to be very careful with this because we have to pursue the Lord and not the recognition of people. This is what Peter and John said. Shall we seek to please you or God? Judge ye whether or not it's right to please you or to please God. Oh, man. All right. I'll have to work on that and help you out later because I have to move on, but I don't feel like we've covered that well. Let me just... Let me just declare a few things here. The pursuit of sincerity begins with transparency. This is a difficult thing for us to do. Like the Bible says, confess your faults one to another. You may be healed. But we have a very tough time confessing our faults to one another because the moment you confess your faults to someone, now someone knows your fault. And then if you have a falling out, they can post your fault. They can take a picture of it. They can tell other people what you confessed a year ago because now you're not friends. And because you're not friends now, they feel like it's open season. The problem is when there's no trust in the church, there's no confession among the body and then there's no healing and no one can be transparent. So any person in here that has problem with pornography they're never going to tell anybody that they got a problem with pornography or they smoke in this in 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 in, in the garage because they don't want anyone to know or they have problem cussing or they have a problem gambling although although all those issues exist but there's no transparency and when there's no transparency we become insincere Ugh. <laughs> And the pursuit of sincerity, it begins with a transparency where, where you open yourself up, willing to be exposed before your brother and your sister, willing to be transparent and open. And part of that problem exists within marriages and homes because when a marriage is struggling and all the love is wrung out in it, Nobody really wants to say that 
because they don't want anyone feeling bad about them or, or looking down on them. When really the opposite ought to be true in the house of God. When someone is overtaken in a fault, the Bible says, Ye which are spiritual among you, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest I also be tempted. And then here's the next line. Bear ye one another's burdens and so, forth the law, so fulfill the law of Christ. I'll tell you how the body becomes strong. It's when we have enough courage to be transparent and we have enough conviction not to speak what we've heard. We have enough love to help one another. This is what the Bible says. Love covereth like a blanket protects a multitude of sins. Love, that does not mean it agrees with sin. It doesn't mean it condones sin, but it protects that, that person that's in sin. This is what I'm promoting tonight. A church that is sincere and has love one, two, that's a verb, not four, one to another. You have love one to another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. That's an action verb. You are going after someone. You are helping them. You are restoring them. I wish there was more confession in the church, but I know there can't be more confession if there's not more confidentiality. I'm struggling in my finances. Why? Well, I, I don't really want to say. Well, here's the here's reason why. Because you spent more than you made. Because you have lust. Because you have pride. Because you want to keep up with someone else. Because they got a new car and you thought, man, we got to get a new car. Because you weren't happy with your junker. Because you, 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 you ran out of coat hangers and, and your, your muffler's falling out. Be better just go get another coat hanger. So what? When I drove the Ultima and it had 365,000 miles on it, I was so happy. It started to die, but I was happy that I had 365,000 miles on it. And Tammy's car had 256,000 miles. It was a race to see how many miles I could get on the car. I'm not driving that anymore, but so what? Who cares what you're driving? Who cares what's... We're not in a race to see who can be better. Most people are spending money that they don't have to please people that they don't like. It's, it's incredible what's happening now. Why? Because pride fills our heart. We got to have this. We got to do that. Because we have to look like we're spiritual. We look like we're good. Hear me. It doesn't matter what level you are in God. You still have struggle and you still need to talk to somebody about the struggle. But no, we're not going to do that. Because what if they repeat? Transparency is critical. And if we don't have transparency, there'll be no sincerity. The pursuit of sincerity begins with that. Secondly, the function of sincerity is propelled through accountability and discipline. Of course, this is widely resisted in the American church. Widely resisted. Nobody needs to know what I'm doing. I'm on vacation. Nobody needs to know where I'm at. Well, it doesn't matter. Nobody needs to know. Oh, I'm about, I'm about to get into your business. I don't know whose business I'm about to get into. I'm about to get into business. I like to give just in cash because it's between me and God. Really? Where did you find that in the scripture? That's not in the scripture. Oh, yeah. I, just, I don't want anyone to know what I give. I'll tell you what that is. That's pride. That's hiding so you don't have to be accountable. I've always, I've always, I always come in contact with these people saying, now, Pastor, now, you know, I give. But I don't always put in the envelope. It's just me and God. Really? That's in the Bible? You and God? Go look in the Old Testament. Go find out what the Bible says. They brought it. They conscripted the men. They brought their offerings. They knew what it was. If that's the case, then Ananias and Sapphira would never have made a declaration. 
This is just between me and God. We're not answering that question. Hey, just be thankful we gave you some of the, some of the part of the land. Be thankful. Hey, Pastor Peter, be thankful. You don't need to ask these questions to us. We don't have to be accountable to you. That's, the scripture is always, it's filled with accountability. Sincerity is propelled through discipline and accountability because every day doing the same thing over and over again, having accountability, it makes us sincere. This is what I found out. Men and women, mostly men, that, that have no accountability, they are the most susceptible to having an affair on their spouse. Men who are not accountable are the most susceptible to have a fair on their spouse. Well, you know, I just, I got a lot of places to go. I can't check in with you all the time. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, listen, I can't, I can't go over my day. Really? That's what it is. Your wife is the most important person in your life besides Jesus Christ. In fact, the most important decision you've ever made in your life after you decide to follow the Lord was who you would marry. If you, if you want to get to heaven, praise God, I hope you get there. But if you don't want to go to hell, there ain't no reason to live in it while you're here. All right, well, you know that didn't. I'd say, <laughs> I told my kids, they have no idea what they're doing. We're going to choose their spouse. Roman laughed, Reagan got, got, gave us a list, and Ali said, absolutely not. You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> All right. And, and then among these concepts, the sustainability of sincerity, so it can be sustained, is established. These are not new revelatory ideas they're proven a very tried path. Prayer. They're established by prayer, by fasting, by obedience to the scripture. Just do that again. Prayer and fasting, obedience to the scripture. You want to be sincere? Pray, fast, be obedient to the scripture. I don't have to ask anybody how to be sincere. Prayer. Prayer is when I confess my, my, my needs to God. I open up myself to God. The closer I get in, to God in prayer, the more he reveals who I am. The closer you get to the Lord and you pronounce who he is, the better he'll be able to pronounce you. Who do, who do men say that I am? Well, they say you're a teacher. They say you're Elijah. They say you're a prophet come from God. Well, who do you say that I am? Watch, watch, watch it. Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and thou art Peter. You declare who he is, he'll tell you who you are. But when you don't, when you never get close to him, you don't even really know who you are. He'll purify you the more you get into prayer. When I'm in prayer, I'm not just praying for other people, but I'm realizing that I'm praying for myself and that I need God. And as I begin to praise him and worship him in prayer and fasting is what, is what disciplines my flesh. It's what disciplines my flesh. So that I can hear from God. Fasting is like riding in the car with God. He's always talking to you. But fasting is what turns down the volume so you can hear him. All this stuff. Fasting. You know, the first couple days of fasting, my stomach hurts. Anyone been there? And I'm, and I'm wondering, why did I do this? 
The third day, it's not a bad day. The fourth, it's getting a little better. The fifth day, my prayer life. The first several days, I'm angry. I'm, my blood sugar's not right. And my body's not regulated. And poisons are coming out of my mouth. And I have to brush my teeth ten times a day. And my spirit is doing the same thing. Things are coming out. And, I, and I'm dealing with my flesh. I'm dealing. It takes me a little while to get by the sixth or seventh day, the tenth day. I'm doing better. I'm starting to see things in the Holy Ghost. Because my flesh is under control. And I can become sincere before God. It's the best time of my life. And then simply to be obedient to the scripture. Instead of opening up the Bible and say, well, I don't really know if that's for me. Hear me. People have died because they bought into the lie of cultural relativism. Which says it's just for that culture. Yes, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago to a culture not our own. But the Bible is true. Every word of God is true. It's for us today. And so, of course, these things happen to us and we, we, um, when we don't have discipline and accountability, when we're not transparent, it's hard to reach sincerity. Without sincerity, you can't really build a life of integrity. And how is that? What, what are those attributes of the insincere lifer? How do we miss being sincere? How do, we, how do we miss it? The unattained sincerity. Of course, once again, I, I probably can't exhaust the list, but first, people hide hurts. I, I always call them unresolved issues. A father that rejected you. A mother that rejected you. Rejections of a family, a spouse. Rejection. Especially early on, either in marriage or, or in family life. If it's not opened up and resolved, it will stay with you the rest of your life. I don't know if you, can, if you have the space, but you should write this down. Time does not heal. Jesus heals. Time doesn't heal. If you think, well, this will go away in a few years, it doesn't. What it did was it distorted your growth. You grew, you grew a different way. It's the tree planted by the fence. And all of a sudden, the tree has to weave its way around the fence. Or maybe the barbed wire is growing inside of it. It's distorted. Secondly, we perfect the outward image. I'll call that Presentation. Because we're so concerned about presentation. God looks on the heart, but the greater the presentation, often the less sincerity people have. Now that doesn't mean that, that you don't fix yourself up and you don't have the right presentation. Don't let the pendulum swing out of control. But if all of your efforts is how you look, how you appear, then you're in big trouble because chances are you're insincere. You have not attained any sincerity. Thirdly, the way that people are insincere is that they point out flaws or hypocrisy in other people. You know, you got a problem and then you, instead of revealing your problem, you're always pointing out other people's problem. This is so that you can mask yours. It's called deflection. You deflect. You're always deflecting. 
You ever see people who are always talking about someone? They're usually deflecting because they've got so many issues in their own life. They love to be able to discuss other, one, other people's issues because then, then they don't have to talk about themselves. They don't have to reveal themselves. They don't have to be sincere. And finally, they learn the right words. I call it the mimic effect or to mimic. Many, many, many years ago, one of the Bible quiz teams, they, they did not memorize the scriptures very well. And so they didn't know the answers to a lot of the questions, but the questions were very easy. And we just said, just, just hit the buzzer and whatever it is, just answer, try to answer. And so one of them hit the buzzer and, and did not know the answer, but just, you know, the, who said, you know, these words, who said, God so loved the world, whatever. They didn't know the answer, but they guessed, Jesus that is correct. They were so excited. They hit the next buzzer. And, and they said, Jesus, that is incorrect. And they kept answering. So when in doubt, just say, Jesus, the Lord. Just learning the right words. You know, we've, we've done this in youth class years ago. We walked, we went around, okay, what do you think, what do you think you should do if you're living for God? What do you do? Instead of saying what they did in their life, they said what they thought we wanted them to say. They mimicked it. They, was, they learned all the right words. Like we learn all the right things in church. We learn all the things to say in church. What's the answer? Jesus? Prayer? So this mimicking has caused us to be insincere. So we mimic what a Christian should do. What someone who's saved should do. Instead of following the Lord, we're following someone because we think that that's what people want us to do. Now, there are, there are areas of consequence that we've got to address, and I will not address one of them in full. I'll wait till next week, but I'm, I'm going to address a few of these areas of consequence. And this has to do with integrity and sincerity. We're talking tonight about integrity and sincerity. Because we're, we're trying to pursue a life of integrity and sincerity. So there's got to be transparency. There's got to be discipline. There's got to be correct conduct. We've got we've to make sure that we, that we are honest with our neighbor. We've got to make sure we treat everyone the same. We've got to make sure we're treating people not because of what they've done or what they do, but because of what the Lord has done for us. We've got to pursue God. And if we don't, then we'll become insincere. And we become bitter. And we become hard for God to deal with. So let's talk about four areas of concern. These are, these are important areas of concern. And the question, the first area, of course, has to do with the Lord himself. What about God? Uh, you can tell me about your boat, your house, your career, your education, your money. You can talk about your sickness, your family, your pursuits, your ambitions. But my question to you is, what about God? What about our relationship with God? Because your relationship with God is the, it's the foundation of every other thing in your life. Your relationship with God is what everything is built upon. You're talking to him. You're communing with him. Your walk with him. Your commission. So there are measurements. Let me tell you, measurements matter. They do matter. And we've got to measure our relationship with God. You know measurements matter, right? Nobody goes to the store and says, hey, I like to have a shirt. Okay, just pick any shirt off the rack. Now, is that how you shop? That's, that is not how I shop. Measurements matter. I know that measurements matter to you. 
I know measurements matter. In fact, even today, measurements matter. They've changed measurements. Instead of, instead of the old measurement, you know, that used to be, you know, wide and porky, now it's called classic cut. Uh-huh. I went in to get a suit, and I loved the suit. It said modern fit, slim fit, and classic cut. I said, man, I want to be modern. The guy said, you look classic cut. I said, how about slim fit? He said, absolutely not. Maybe, maybe we can let something out on the modern fit, but you look classic cut. So I punched him right in the nose. No, I didn't. It was, it was a little joke. No, I didn't say that. Measurements matter. They measure. They measure you to fit who you are. You need to measure your life, take a survey of your life, and you do it in time. Because time is the one commodity that you cannot replace. Time. It's the one commodity that you have access to and control over, but when it's gone, you cannot replace it. Time is the most important thing. Time. The moment I... I don't know if Nico's got it yet, but the the other three. The moment I related how much it cost in time... They changed their ideas of spending. That, that entree cost two hours of you working. Whew. It's not worth it. That's right. <laughs> time. Time in the word is a measurement. How much time do you spend in the word? I'm going to stand here and tell you again. Please give God time in the scripture. We're about, to, we're about to break this new year open and we, we always open it with, with, the, with the, uh, bread charts and Bible reading and one-year Bibles. Get in the Bible. Even if you, you don't have to wait till January, get a one-year Bible and start right now. Start November the 8th tomorrow morning. Of course, I know some of you are kind of like me. You're OCD. You like to start fresh. It's okay. Let tomorrow be the first day. Time in the word. Turn off the news. How much more of CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, NBC, ABC, all the BCs, how much more can you, can you listen to and watch? Turn the radio off. Limbo hasn't anything new to say since 1984. Hear me, everybody. Get back in the word. The word is going to help you. Everything else is going to hurt you. But we've consumed ourselves with Netflix and YouTube and Hulu and cable and all the other stuff that we lost time in the word. I wonder how much time we waste in a day. Of course, the national statistics say that children, even in school, watch about five and a half hours of TV every day. Can you imagine five and a half hours every day? We did the math. We did the math years ago that if the Lord watched as much television programming, now we're going to call it television program because it's not really television anymore. It's YouTube and it's, and it's, and it's, it's, I don't know what it is. It's YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff. If the Lord spent as much time on all of that media devices, when he began his ministry, instead of having three and a half years of ministry, he'd have been down to 90 days left of ministry because he would have wasted all the rest of the time. 90 days out of three and a half years. Three months out of three and a half years. Because he'd had no time left. After you sleep a little bit, eat a little bit, he'd have spent the rest of the time on YouTube. Time in the Word. How about give God 10%
of everything else you read or you listen to or you watch. How about that? Well, we don't really like these measurements, you know. But there will be a quiz at the end of the year. Time in worship. How about time in worship? Now, you know, I said this Sunday, and I, I, I don't, I guess I'll repeat myself. It's wonderful to come to worship. Come to worship in this house. How about Sunday night, come to worship in this house? How about Sunday morning, come to worship in this house? Get everybody you can, time and worship. Time and worship is wonderful. Time and worship is wonderful. Of course, this is not the only house that you worship in. You should worship in your own house. It's wonderful to walk around the house and worship in your own house. I've had many Holy Ghost experiences in my home and in my car. Sometimes, if the Lord is so strong in my car, I've had to pull over many times. I've been listening to preaching CDs, hearing someone preach, and just the Holy Ghost just flooded my car, and I was speaking in tongues and crying. I had to pull over the side of the road. Because I don't know how I could explain that to the officer. What happened to you, Pastor? Jesus came in my car. Number three, time in prayer. How about time in prayer? How about five minutes? How about seven minutes every day you pray? Five, seven minutes every day you pray. See, if you can't tell me that this is measurement, you're probably not doing it. If there's no measurement, if you haven't measured your prayer life, then you have no prayer life. Do you pray? Well, yes, you know, I always pray for the green beans. I don't know why you're praying for the green beans. They're there. Unless you're praying that they become something else. I do. (laughs) Shrimp scampi. They never change. And finally, the measurement is active obedience to what is true or to truth. Active obedience. Active is really doing something. We're back to application. Active obedience. Don't just hear a sermon or a lesson. Get up and do something about it. Come on, let's, let's go home. Let's do something about it. Have you ever had a family meeting? Does anyone have family meetings? We have family meetings in our house. Anybody have a family meeting? We have a family meetings, many of them in our house. Come on, we're all having a family meeting. Oh, family meetings are not always good. Sometimes they are good. Sometimes we throw good things in there just to throw them off. We put really good things. Have a family meeting. We're going on vacation. Wow, I thought it was going to be bad. We have a family meeting. We, we got to change a few things in our home. We have regular family meetings in our home. And we talk. And sometimes we're, dis- we're all discussing. Sometimes the kids are meeting with us. Can you imagine? It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> it was so much easier 10 years ago, and it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't want to even open that up, but, but there's a lot to be said there. We don't have time. You don't have time to, for me to tell you how my kids correct us. This, this, this sincerity is, is very important that we, that we learn how to be sincere. But we're never going to learn how to be sincere until we get our God relationship correct. Because it all starts there. Secondly, on the next page is the, another area of consequences, home and family. And I'm going to deal with home and family in a greater measure next week. Integrity, that's good character, is established inside the confines of your home. It's not established where everyone knows where you are. In fact, there was a working definition that integrity happens when no one can see you. Or you create or you establish what kind of character you have when no one sees you. But I would just submit to you that it happens inside the home because that's usually where 
you have no consequence of outside, outside judgment. And until we recognize that what happens behind closed doors is just as important as what happens in the open, we will always lack the kind of integrity and sincerity that God demands of our lives. That's why I say to parents, don't be embarrassed of what your children do in public when you let them do that in private. Remember, behind closed doors is not a justification for doing things that are incorrect. If I could, if I could give you a few patterns, let me, let me help you with a few patterns. These are patterns, and I didn't preface this, but these are, these are things. Uh, I'm sorry, these are, these are attributes of this second, this second consequence. The first one is patterns, what we've always done. This is why we do it, patterns, what we've always done, what we've always done. The patterns happen uh, uh, in the home. The second one, what we've always seen, that's emulation. So a pattern is, well, our family has always done this every Thanksgiving or every Saturday. That's a pattern. Emulation is what we've always seen. It's the exampleship, emulation. We emulate the things we see. And thirdly, it's expectation. What we've always assumed We've always assumed this. It just It's like a hand-me-down or this, this uh, pseudo-genetic code. You're going to be this because of what your father or your mother was. And, and in the home, when the home is not correct, these things can turn on us. It could be the wrong pattern. It could be the wrong example. It could be the wrong expectation or the assumption. If they're right... They can be wonderful. The pattern. What's the pattern? Well, we always go to church on Sunday. It's just our pattern. These are good patterns. The Jews had traditions. These are, these are the patterns. It's what we've always done. This is what we always do. We always go to church on Easter. We always go to church on Mother's Day. We always, whatever it is, you, you name that. What's the emulation? What is seen? What's the example? It's what we've always seen. The expectation assumed. When there's spousal abuse, it's the expectation. Young men grow up thinking, this is how I'm supposed to treat my wife. Uh It's the expectation. The expectation is care. My brother and I grew up with a father that loved and adored my mother. The expectation was he was going to fix whatever she needed fixed and help in every way. And, And he would glue it. Together, he would, he would put it together, he would duct tape it together, but he would get it fixed. And <laughs> we thought that was a little funny, but this is what he did. He fixed everything. And mom, the expectation of mom was that she would serve him. She'd serve him. And then she, he would brag on her food. And, he, and she, would take, she would take joy in making him happy. These were the, these were the assumptions. This is how marriage, and I taught this before, the dinner table was the example of our lives. We learned everything about relationships at the dinner table, which of course has now been replaced with the coffee table as people watch television. But the dinner table in our home is how we learn how to function in life. We learn how mom and dad treated each other, how we were supposed to talk. I learned what not to do because Scott said things that he shouldn't have. <laughs> 
<laughs> I always like to say that mostly because it's true. Here's the third area of consequence. It's what we say. In the beginning, God spoke words were spoken and things came into existence and we are made in his image and what we speak. See, the first is God. The second is, 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 our, is our family, which we're going to explore next week. But the third is the power of that spoken word. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Can you imagine? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You create or you destroy with your words. Sticks and stones may break my, my bones. This is a lie. But words will never hurt me? No. I'd rather you hit me with a stick or a stone. But don't say that to me. It's hard to get it out of my system. It's not true. Sticks and stones hurt me. But words are more severe than anything. Young men have been stunted. They have grown up malnourished in the, in the state of emotion because somebody said the wrong thing to them. And, 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 and young women, the same thing over and over again. This is what Jesus said. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy, thy words thou shalt be condemned. You'll be condemned, justified, or condemned. Can you imagine? Other people are not condemning you or justifying you. You're doing it every time you open up your mouth. It's better, the, the, the proverb said, that even a fool, when he doesn't speak, he's considered as wise. He might be a fool, but as long as he's not talking, everybody thinks he's smart. And if you're not, don't say anything. They'll just think you're brilliant. And of course, we have this horrific thought. I don't know if it's, it's not new to us, but it's been perpetuated down to the age it's been perpetuated. I just would offer this numbers. I, I've always looked at this and thought this was very interesting. Of course, the Levites, they were commissioned to to build their house or their tent in a specific place. But for everyone else, the children of Israel, you will build your home, pitch your tent, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard throughout their host. So wherever you like to set up camp, you can do that. You can build your own house. That means taste or preferences. I don't, I don't necessarily like everyone's colors. You may not like my colors. I might have a, a carpet that you may not like. Maybe you don't like my family traditions. I, I'm not fond of noodles. I like pasta in my mom, mom's sauce. I'm not a big fan of noodles. Whenever we have a big you know, church dinner and everyone brings noodles, everyone go crazy over noodles. Can't wait till you taste these noodles. Bland, everything's bland to me. I want to know where's the sauce. Man, the secret's in the sauce. Man, get the sauce out there. No sauce. We're talking about sauces, Indiana noodles. People are raving over noodles. You ain't heard, you haven't seen no noodles. So some people, you know, walk around, get these mushrooms and pick the mushrooms and they, then they cook the mushrooms. I don't know. I like the mushrooms from, from Basers. They're, they're just wonderful mushrooms from Basers. Someone brought over some, some, some mushrooms that they got from the woods about 15 years ago. Made, made longer than that. I would make, in fact, it might have been one of my first years. And, and then they brought the mushrooms over and they, and they, and they put them in, 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 in the egg batter and then they put a 
just a ton of, of uh, batter on them. And it was just this little bitty mushroom with this big batter. And, and the batter was wonderful. The mushroom was terrible. I just ate the batter and just put the mushroom to the side. I, like, I love mushrooms. Just, I didn't like that mushroom. I don't know, whatever your taste is, whatever your preference, or according to your needs or wants. Who cares if you've got a house that's 500 square feet? Those tiny homes, you know, they have like 200 square feet or less. If you like a tiny home, praise God. Get you a tiny home. Come to find out these tiny homes are on large pieces of property. Did you ever know that? They're not in tiny home parks. Those are called trailers. (laughs) Tammy lived in a trailer. She grew up in a trailer. And our cousins were talking about how they moved so many times. They moved here and they moved there. And it was such a hard thing to move from place to place to place. You know, they had to do all this stuff and move, kept moving. She was thinking while they were talking, you know, I moved along. I moved a lot too. I can't believe I moved. But, and then it, it dawned on her. She moved a lot, but they just, they just put the wheels on the trailer and just moved. She always had the same room, but she just moved around. You can build your own house. Here, anywhere you want to go, this is what you do. You do your standard. You do it according to your family. If you want a large one, don't worry about what everyone else is doing. You know, you want a, you want a big, like, carnival tent? Praise God. You want a little bitty, tiny tent? Okay. That's good. You can have it. You can build it. But watch this. In Deuteronomy one twenty-five, they took of the fruit of the land in their hands. They brought it down to us. They brought us the word. So they had evidence and they had the report. The report was, It's good. This is the ten, ten spies. This is, here's the evidence. The land is good. Here's the fruit. But we're not going to go. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of your God. We're not going to, we're not going to take the land. The fruit is good. The word is good. Everything's good, but we're not going to go up. No way. We're not going to go. And he said, you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. And watch verse 27. This is the key. And ye murmured in your tents and said, I'm not even interested in what was said. God, this is, this is the misnomer of our American culture. You can say whatever you want in your home because it's the privacy of your own home. Hear me. God hears what you say, every word spoken in the privacy of your home. So you just go, go in your home, you just get in the closet, and you say whatever you want to say, or you close your door and you think you can just say all manner of evil and all kinds of things and your whole personality can change. You can't say what you want to say in your home because God is watching and he's listening. And God said, I heard you in your tents. You were complaining in your tent. You thought you could just go home and say whatever you wanted to about, about the Lord, about how I brought you out of Egypt, about Moses. You could say whatever you wanted to. God said, oh, no, you can't do that. There's a consequence here of our words because our words display our level of integrity. So say whatever you build, whatever house you want, but you don't get to say whatever you want in the house that you've built. See, creation commences the moment you open up your mouth. Creation. There's been many people in my childhood that my mother encouraged and said, you are going to be a great woman of God. You are going to be a great singer. You're going to be a great witness. And I don't know what she was looking at because from my vantage point, no, they were not. You're going to be an awesome worship leader. No, they are not. But she was speaking something into existence. Creation commences when you open up your mouth. You're starting to create something. 
And secondly, as we've talked about, exampleship is set. It's set inside the home with your own words. It is common for me, not saying it by faith, it's common for me to lift up the people in our own church. It's common for me, even when I leave here and I'm preaching some conference or convention, I'm not putting my church down, I'm lifting my church up. I'm telling everybody how awesome you are. I'm distraught when I hear ministers get up at conferences and talk about how bad their church is. I just keep thinking, man, that's a reflection of you, you big dummy. Maybe go home and love your people. Hear me. We're, we got to have love in this house. I think you're an awesome group. I think Sunday is incredible. I'm watching the youth choir. I can barely hear what they're singing because I'm so, I'm so enamored by, by the fact that they're all up there worshiping God. I'm so grateful for it. And someone pointed out one of the young girls on the end that was singing and, and, and I think Brother Grant Doherty pointed it out, pointed out somebody or maybe it was Pastor Andrew. And I just started crying when they told me the story because she had a microphone in her hand and she's relatively new and she's been doing good and, and there she is singing on the front line. I'm just so grateful for it. And of course, sometimes I just stare at Alexandra for a while. And it's just dad. And then finally, of course, God holds you accountable to what you say. And this is not always for the bad. He'll hold you accountable. You make a commitment. This is a good thing. I, I wish I had more time to explore it, and I've done it many times because words have great power. and They have great, great, great meaning. Let me just try to end this tonight because I've run out of time. The fourth area of consequence is material things. Material things. Because material things gives us a witness to the world And a discipline of our flesh, material things. They're given to us because we really need to be a witness how we manage things. Both are established through what? I'll just, this is my working definition. Money and stuff. Money and stuff. Mm -hmm. My mother always named her cars one of the earliest cars that she had, the name was Nelly. Right, Scott? Nelly. Ford Granada. Nelly. And Nelly had a manifold that was slipping. And when the manifold slips, I don't know much about the manifold, but I do know that the result of the slipping manifold is that the steering wheel shakes violently. And it would work real good on your back, but it hurts your arm after a while. And the, and the driver's seat broke. So dad, he's a fix-it man. And of course, super glue and duct tape wouldn't work. So he put a chain that connected to the top of the ceiling uh, of the car to the driver's seat. And of course, he welcomed me and Scott to take any girl out we wanted to in the Nelly, the Granada. Of course, it didn't even have FM radio. It had AM and all we could listen to was KMOX. Full new station. <laughs> Except if you drove around late at night in St. Louis, you could always catch like old reruns of the Lawrence Welk show. Big bands. 
And I'll never forget mom telling us about the car. Respect this car. You ought to respect Nelly. We would shake our fists and say, it's just a car. You respect what you have. That was drilled, drilled into me. You respect things, materials. You respect materials. It's one of the reasons why we try to keep the properties here nice because people associate our devotion to God with how we are devoted to our properties. You might think it's inconsequential, but go ahead and go and pull up in front of a church that has mildew growing all on the side of the building and it's leaking and, and there's bugs and rats and gnats and, and all kinds of junk inside. And you, you will know how they treat their God based upon the materials because there's a consequence here. Here's an area of consequence. How you treat your stuff is important. That's why when I first came here, I taught the lesson vacuuming the brown carpet. The brown carpet was nasty. It was no good. Who remembers the brown carpet? The beige carpet was wonderful. The brown carpet was not so good, but I drew, but I vacuumed lines in the brown carpet. Of course, I'm a little OCD and I vacuumed myself out the door, stepped over the landing, stuck it in the, in, in, in the closet and went to the revival. That was my best deterrent for vandals and thieves because I would know if someone had been in our home because there would have been a footmark. And I vacuumed that nasty brown carpet. There were stains on it when we, when we walked into that home. We redid that old nasty home and even Tammy poured, before we got the new carpet, she, she poured bleach on some of those big stains. It was better to have just a bleached out carpet in those places than the red Kool-Aid. And we loved that beige carpet, that, that brown carpet until we had enough money and, and, and kept that, that, that brown carpet until we had enough money to get the beige carpet. And what I found out is that the beige carpet is going to end up looking like the brown carpet if you don't take care of the brown carpet. And the chances are you're never going to get the beige carpet until you take care of the brown carpet. In fact, I'm not just making something up. It's in the Bible. Because if you do good with what you have, God gives you more. But if you do poorly with what you have, you don't get any more. In fact, you, he takes away what you already have. Materials and stuff may not look like much, but Jesus even said, you're only going to serve two masters, either God and the devil, right? No, it's not God the devil. It's never God and Satan. It's God and money. The only gods in this world, Jesus said, are God and money. You're only going to serve two masters, God or money. Not God and the devil, God and money. So you better control money and not let it control you. And the reason why you run out of money is because you spent more than you took in. There's a revelation. And so the discipline of the flesh is not to consider what someone else has, but to, to maintain the money that you have and the stuff.